Well, welcome. So glad you made the choice to be here this morning. Excited to uh, dive into God's Word together. As you may remember, last week we started a new series in the book of Titus, which was kind of unique. And so if you want to start grabbing your Bibles and start turning there, we're going to be in the second half of chapter 1, verse 10. If uh, you remember the topic last week, we were starting to talk about the little basis for this book. It's a book written by Paul to his younger uh, pastor friend Titus with the uh, goal of equipping Titus to minister effectively in Crete. And one of the first things that he wanted to make sure that Titus was going to do when he was in Crete was to set in place appropriate leadership overseeing the churches in that area. And he emphasized what that involved. And one of the things that that involved was making sure that you chose uh, men of character that were clear about their calling. You might remember this from last week. Clear about their calling and firmly anchored in the truth. Firmly anchored in the truth. And we're going to talk this morning about the, the reality that when you're looking to, when someone's wanting to be firmly anchored in the truth, that's not an easy thing to accomplish in the world that we're placed in, right? There, it's, it's not an easy thing to say that you're really honestly anchored in the truth. There's a lot of things pulling a lot of different directions in this world, and there's a lot of obstacles, especially within the church, as to what is truth. There's a lot of battle for that. And the truth is, is there's a subtle attack on, and if you think about it, if, if Satan's going to be strategic in attacking the church, it's not going to be from up top. It's not going to be an outward attack. Like I was reading this week about the church in China and how the, the church in China, there's, there's over 25 million people that would profess Christ in China that are meeting in house churches behind the scenes because what? Because the, the communist regime that's in place has forced that and it hasn't, it hasn't de diminished what God is doing there. It's caused it to actually expand. And so there's a little bit more of a subtle attack in our country as to what's going to take out the church or the body of Christ is more of a behind the scenes kind of a, a subtle attack. I've mentioned before in the church here that I've started watching, maybe this is a bad habit, but started watching a show called I Was Bitten. And uh, it's uh, different accounts of be people being attacked by different animals. I know, that's kind of gruesome. I don't know why I like that. Uh, but each one is, gives an account of, okay, this person was attacked by a tiger, this one by a mountain lion, a lot of them in California, which is also concerning to me. And, uh, and, and the reoccurring theme in most of the attacks is this, this shark one I was watching this last week in Maui, which was concerning also. Uh, the, the reoccurring attack is what? They didn't see it coming. They didn't see it coming. That's kind of the, the reoccurring thing. As you hear each person talk about their story, and all of them were survivors of different animal attacks, and the reoccurring thing is that they didn't see it coming. It was a subtle attack, and that's really the best kind of attack, is a subtle attack if you're hoping to have victory over your prey. And the truth is, in our church, in our culture, in our environment here in Southern California, in the United States, is the attack is on truth. What do they describe Satan as? What does God's word describe him as? The father of lies, right? That's his main, that's his primary means of attacking. You think about the things that he lies to us about. He, he lies to us about where salvation comes. We talked about that in the last series, about what's going to actually satisfy us, about where, where our identity is, about God's expectations for us. There's all these subtle lies 
behind the scenes that Satan uses in, in the town or the city of Crete, they were especially vulnerable to this because they were young churches, young believers. They weren't yet grounded in the truth. And so Paul is writing to warn them, but the cautions that he gives to them or to Titus in establishing leadership is similar to the same cautions that he would give us because really, as we start to unpack this, we're going to realize that we're under the same type of same type of type of attack. It's still truth is constantly being bombarded. I mentioned last week the uh, uh, obsession with our country recently, which is interesting with with heaven. We talked about. Do you remember that last week? We talked about some of the movies, some of the books that are out there, and, and really people even forming their worldview based on what the media has described about what heaven is like, right? Someone this week, though, passed on a, a, a reminder to me. I thought it was interesting. In Matthew 3.13, what do you think of this verse? Matthew 3.13 says this, No one has ascended into heaven. This is Jesus talking. Uh, this is to, to Nicodemus. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Hmm, what do we do with that? Do you, do you see, the reason I bring that up isn't to, to bash the, the movies that's out and how well it's doing and the, uh, the books that are out there, but wait a second, what, how does what we believe about one thing collide with what Scripture actually says about it? You see, the importance of being grounded in the truth ripples into everything, even our view of the afterlife, even our view of the afterlife. That's why verse 9 that we ended with last week, you can take a look at it with me now, says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The reason he's saying, listen, you need to stay grounded in the word. That needs to be, as a church, as an individual, that needs to be our truth source. My question to us this morning is, is that your truth source? Is that where you're coming to conclusions? Is that where you're shaping your worldview from God's word? Is that it? The truth is, and what we're hoping to discover in this morning's text, is that a mature believer, a mature believer confronts lies that they're bombarded with, and clings, to the, and clings to the truth, confronts lies, and clings to the truth. And that's what we're going to pray towards this morning. Let me start by doing that. God, we thank you for your word and the practicality of it. As I've studied this text, even this week, just seeing that, man, things haven't changed as much as you might think. God, I thank you that there's still a, a, a grounding point, a, a stable uh, standing thing, that you're the firm foundation, the rock that we need to cling to. God, I just pray now that you'd speak through this text and uh, you would just bring things to light, that you'd convict us where we need to be convicted, challenge us, encourage us, speak to us where we're at in this time and place. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. We're in verse 10 and we're gonna start, we're basically breaking this text into first talking about the problem. And I already set that up a little bit here, but you're gonna see in verse 10 there, the problem is this, is that deception is all around us. Deception is all around us. Verse 10 says this, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. 
Let's pause there for a second. Problem is that deception is all around us. The truth is, a lot of time, as I mentioned here out of the gates, is the problem isn't coming from outside the church. The problem many times lies within the body of Christ. Hopefully we can, it wouldn't be the description of this church, but it wouldn't be, uh, it would be unwise to think that there aren't some parallels here. It describes this, uh, some of the, the warnings that he's giving. He says, listen, you're surrounded, not a few isolated instances, but many who are what? Three different things. Insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. Insubordinate, that definition, is somebody that's not recognizing or not submitting to authority. You think of somebody maybe in prison, you'd be like, yeah, they're insubordinate. In this context, it's talking about somebody that's not submitting to the authority of God's word, insubordinate, not willing to allow that to be their standard of truth. And think about how many people in the world that were placed, the church, big C church in the United States, that would be the case of. That they'd say, you know what, like I, I buy some things in the Bible, but yeah, I'm not really willing to follow that part. It's kind of a pick and choose and a, and a best of. I'm take my favorite parts, leave out the parts that seem difficult. Yeah, I'm all for love, but love your enemy? What? No, no thanks. I'll, I'll pass on that part. Picking and, picking and choosing that, that's the idea of being insubordinate. Describes another group of people, or maybe the same, empty talkers. Empty talkers. This person, not, they, they might still refer the, to the Bible, but they distort biblical truths. They take phrases out of context, and they, they use things with their own agenda in mind. You think about this happening so often, you'll listen to a sermon. I end up listening to a lot of sermons in, in my life, just a lot of different pre preachers. I think it can be a healthy thing if you're picking the right ones to listen to. But so many times, I'm frustrated when there's, they have the point that's being made, and then they try to find a, 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 a verse or something to validate that. As opposed to saying, what does God's word teach? What does it teach? That's the idea of being empty talkers. You always want to have caution when you hear somebody talking about, God revealed this to me. God revealed this to me, and you should follow that. You're like, wait a second. Like, let, let, let's start with God's word. Let that be the filter. Not empty talk. Not about some spiritual height that this person's achieved that you'll probably never get to. Like being concerned about who we're allowing to fill our ears with. So insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers is the next picture that he describes there. And this is really the outcome of an empty talkers. Like the, when, when you're constantly being fed with empty talk, all of a sudden your, your, your worldview is being shaped and you're like, man, before you know it, you're like, man, I'm, I'm under deception. I've started to buy into things that just aren't true, that just aren't true. I'm convinced that most deceivers don't even realize that they're deceiving people. You ever wonder that? You ever wonder if the, the guy on the, the televangelist, like on, on TV, do, you're like, do, they, do they even believe what they're saying? Like, or, or are they just literally confused? I, th I think one of the issues is we've created a church culture that expects, or people have bought into this idea that they've got to have it all figured out and have everything solved, and they speak as if they know something and it's not grounded in God's word. But I think that the weight of that comes from us trying to have, oh, I've, got a, I've already got my stance on this. I've already got this figured out. I've got this solved. And you're like, yeah, but, but are, is it rooted in God's word? That's the danger. And somebody that doesn't even intend to be can become a deceiver. 
coming to conclusions based on their human reason and limited experience. They state things that they've heard or they've read without even, without even referencing like, well, this was one person, this is one thought. So deceivers, it's present still in our, our think about it. You've got the people that, are, that, that, it's, that you'd say like, yes, that's a, I think they're confused. But then there's the second camp that's definitely using the gospel for their advantage. They've figured out a formula like, hey, if I write a book that talks about working harder and self-help and, and finding strength, with, strength within, like people buy into that. They like that idea. This, some of the novel ideas that when you, you're like, wait a second, I, I read a recent Christian book that I was like, it didn't have one reference to the Bible and the whole thing. I was like, that, that's a concerning issue. That's, that's, that's a problem. And so where, where is this, this coming from? And so he's pointing out, listen, we're surrounded by this, and it's not outside the church. It's within the body of Christ. The, the crazy thing is, is that there's a ripple effect to this. Look at verse 11, what comes from that. It says, they must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, I just mentioned, what they, not, what they ought not to teach. It's interesting that still, uh, to this day, false teachers are still knocking on doors. The idea there is kind of this behind the scenes. It's not a front door attack. It's going behind the scenes. It's maybe not in a, in a, in a stadium, although I believe that happens as well, but it's more of behind the scenes working, whether it's in a, in a home or with families. That's why we need to see ourselves, those of us that our parents are, are responsible for the care of kids, like, man, you've got to be the, the shelter. You've got to be the protector of truth within the family that you're responsible for. That's what it's, I thought it's fascinating. It says that they've got to be silenced. We, know, we might not be able to keep from somebody from speaking. It might not be a, a silence, like pin the person down with a hand over their mouth. You know, that, that might not be what it's saying there. But the idea of silence sometimes means turning the channel, sometimes turning off the, the, the radio, sometimes turn, the, there, there needs to be a silencing to protect what's actually coming into the ears of ourselves as well as the, the people that we're caring for. My wife and I, our, our kids are in, in public school and we feel like we're constantly reprogramming them, kind of re, like you've heard this, but this is the actual truth. You, this is what you're taught. This is what we believe. This is what God's word teaches. There needs to be a protection because the ripple effect is what it describes there, upsetting whole families, confusing them. I've spent some time in Kenya, a couple different trips there, and it broke my heart. One of the things that's prevalent in the Christian world there is the whole idea of the health and wealth gospel. Are you familiar with this idea? The idea, the idea being presented that, you know, if you're right with God, if you're in a good standing with him, then you're going to experience great wealth and, and health, and things are going to go great. Everything's going to be rosy. Remember sitting in this, this uh, crusade event that they had in one of the, the churches there while we were attending. We we're just bystanders. We weren't involved with it. But the, the gentleman that was up there and he's preaching, he's teaching this like, you, you just need more faith. And you're like, you know what? But this is a people group with an 87% unemployment rate and health care is not an option for many of them. You're like, it broke my heart to see that linked to God, where you're just like, people are leaving feeling like, oh, I guess I'm not very spiritual because I'm not experiencing these things. Do you see how what, what's presented can just wreck somebody if we're not careful to protect what's actually coming in? That's why it says to silence them. 
He describes, he goes on in verse 12 to describe an overall assessment of the culture at that time. He's saying, listen, these false teachers are just consistent with the culture with, with, within their, their place. Probably many of them not even aware that they're deceivers. Take a look in verse 12 at this description. This is one of my favorite sections. I mentioned it last week too. Verse, verse 12 says this, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. And I was like, man, my, my wife and I love to, love to travel and uh, have gone to a number of different states over the, the years. And one of the things I, I always find it fun is when you first drive, if you do a road trip, you drive into a state and you first couple miles, you usually see off to the side, what do you see? Like a, a welcome center, right? And usually you go in and they've got the pamphlets about the state. Can you imagine arriving to, to Crete and they're just like, all right, here's, here's our, our flyer. We're, we're, we're liars, we're gluttons, we're beasts. Like, can you, that, that's going to be the new thing on the license plate, right, in Crete. Like, like that, that's crazy to think. That, that was the summary of their culture, and not just a summary, but he's, Paul, having spent time there, is affirming this. I was looking into it a little bit, and I was like, what is the, the prophet that they're re- referring to? And it's actually a poet named Epimendes, who was a highly respected Greek intellectual in the 6th century. In ancient times, he was considered one of the seven great wise men in Greece. He was actually a native of Crete, and so that was, after growing up there and living there, that was his conclusion. And Paul, now writing 600 years later, is saying, listen, what he came up with 600 years ago about Crete, I'm still testifying that it's true. Things have not changed. So I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that in, in context here. I was like, I was like, well, that, that description, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, I was like, is there any, any overlap in our own culture? Is there any overlap in our own culture? Now, at first read, I'm like, nah, that's, that's not right. But let's break it down for a second. Liars, liars, do you, do you feel like dishonesty is, a, is an option in the, in the marketplace here in, in Southern California? Is there some, some lying that goes on? Is there some deception? Is there some holding back of truth? Is there some unkept promises? Any businessmen ever run into some unmet promises within your field? Uh, like, you're like, okay, well, maybe that's part of the description of present day. How about this one, evil, evil beasts? Like, wait a second, that sounds like barbaric. Like, what do you, say, what do, you do with evil beasts as a description? But think about this in definition of evil beasts, the idea of someone that's living for their own appetites and passions. Someone that's living for their own appetites and passions. Might that be a description of our, our culture present day? Someone that's just consumed with me, my desires, meeting my needs, my dreams, my white picket fence, my, like you, you fill in the blank. Do you think that might be a, descri- a description? I don't know. The, the next one, lazy gluttons. Lazy gluttons. I'm like, whoo, that's a, that's a tough one. Lazy gluttons. The, the idea, how about this though, as by definition, want extravagance, but don't want to work for it. Want extravagance, but they don't want to work for it. Do you feel like that's prevalent in our culture? Shortcuts to getting rich? Abuse of a welfare system? Does that ever happen in the United States? Uh, there's some chuckles there. The, uh, but, but I was thinking about that even like, what's the description of this coming up generation, the entitlement generation, right? 
That's the, the idea of deserving something that I should have this, but not really willing to pull up the sleeves to, to, to arrive there. Well, that's a description, La- lazy gluttons. I was reading an article this week, and no offense to the younger folks in the front, gen, the front couple rows here, uh, but I was reading about the, uh, the issue that we're seeing in our culture with, with young adults not moving out when they become adults. Maybe you've heard of this issue before. I was reading, and the statistics were staggering. 59% of men and 50% of women are still living at home by the age 24, pretty interesting. They're saying it's a, it's a, it's a growing issue in our, in our culture, and it's, a, it's a, a rising thing. People still liking the idea of mom doing laundry. I feel bad because I lived at home until I got married, too. But, uh, but, 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 but anyway, I'm saving for a house. Uh, but, this, but this idea here, and in fact, I was reading in this same article, it had descriptions in different cultures what they term this type person. In Italy, you guys want to hear these for a second? This is a little bit of a tangent, and that's okay. In Italian, they call this person a mammon, which means mama's boy. Huh. In Japanese, I'm going to butcher this, uh, parasato shingura, which means parasite singles. <laughs> in, in, the, in, the US, in the U.S., you may have heard this t- term before, boomerangs. The idea of they go out, but they come back. And this, uh, this picture, and my favorite of all of them was in the UK, and they call this person kippers, which stands for kids in parents' pockets eroding retirement savings. <laughs> oh, that one killed me. And so this, uh, this idea, but my, my point being is the point that he's making in the context there is that when, when truth isn't protected, when we allow ourselves to go whatever direction the world takes us, where we absorb truth from whenever, wherever, with no degree of filter, all of a sudden we start to take on characteristics of the culture in which we live, in which we're placed. That's why he's pointing out the warnings there. So he's saying, he's saying, man, be, be cautious. This is, the, this is the outcome of that. And he moves towards a solution in the second part of verse 13. And the solution is this. It says, therefore, in other words, because of this, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So therefore, because of this, rebuke them sharply. This idea of rebuking the, or correcting false teaching or ungodly living, this is something that's to be happening consistently within the body of Christ, is to call out sin as we see it. Call out things that aren't true. The picture of sharply there is the idea of with penetrating truth. I love Hebrews 4.12 says, God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. But here's the thing that's important to understand as we're calling and pointing things out. What does it say is the goal or the purpose in that? Therefore, rebuke them sharply. So many miss this. That they may be sound in the faith. That they may be sound in the faith. You see the rebuke or the the cutting. If you think of it in terms of, of surgery, it's not trying to inflict wounds. It's for correction, for healing to happen. 
A lot of times we confuse this. We're like, man, I'm going to take them out, man. I'm going to point out that they're living in sin and they believe the wrong truth. They're going down. They're going to get diced and cut up, you know, like they're going out. Like you're like, no, no. The idea here is that they're going to be restored, that they may be sound in the faith. It's real similar to what we learned in Galatians in the last series that we just did in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you should restore him gently. So both of them, for, for, for something that's false, you're to correct them with truth. For sin, you're to gently restore. That's the idea here. But both of those, the picture and the idea overall in Scripture is that it's to be done within the context of relationships. When you look at Jesus and his, his interactions with people, it was within the context of relationships. So it's a surgery, not a battle. And the goal is fixing and allowing healing to take place. If you think about it in our, our context today, our, our world, a rebuke is actually a gift if our overall goal of our life is Christ-likeness. Does that make sense? If the goal is to become more like Christ, a rebuke is actually a gift because you're like, you know what, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Because that, that's something that I had been deceived on. That's something that I was missing. That was a, a shortcoming. That was an area of a, a blind spot in my life. It can be a gift if done well, if done appropriately. It can be a gift in the life of a believer. I'd love for us to foster that in the relationships in our, in our homes, husbands and wives. What a gift you can be to each other if getting this area right. Many of you can attest to this. A lot of husbands can say like, yeah, that's, that's, she's the primary one that corrects me on, on things when I'm headed off track. And it's a, it's a, it's a gift in the, in the life of a relationship. But a couple ideas here of how we, how we uh, are, are to put up or how we are to respond to, uh, to, to lies within the body of Christ. The idea first of is to teach truth. Not all of these are found in this context, but in a number of different passages. I love watching Jesus' life and how he dealt with the Pharisees, the scribes. He, he always confronted lies with truth. I love the, the, the account of him and the, the verse where it says that they stopped bringing questions to him because of the truth that he kept presenting, that he silenced them with truth. We don't have to do it arrogantly. You don't have to convince things, but there's something to be said about presenting truth and how truth corrects lies. Removing from leadership, I think, is key. And that's seen even in the picture in verse 11, the idea of silencing someone. If someone's speaking mistruth, maybe it's best to take a season that they're not in a role of teaching. Live holy lives, a third area there. We see that in 1 Peter 2.15. I love this passage. Take a listen to it. It's on your screen there. 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's kind of cool to think of that as as our actions, having the ability to silence mistruth and and to correct people just by saying like, nope, I'm staying on course. I'm keeping, I'm heading the, the, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shifting to the left or shifting to the right. I'm staying on target. Our actions can do that. You see, when we don't correct truth in our lives, there's really a target on us. When we don't have some degree of accountability in our lives, it's like putting a bullseye on and saying, look, he's vulnerable. And that's what was happening in Crete. These people, young believers, were saying, look, they're not grounded in truth. There's a target. There's a bullseye on us when we're not rooted in truth. For my, uh, my 
getting married my bachelor party, if you will. The guys that my groomsmen had a, a fun plan for me that I didn't didn't know as we decided that they decided uh, to go and play some paintball. I don't know if any of you have ever done paintball before, and uh, it's, it's always a good thing right before getting married because it leaves some really nice welts on you. And, uh, and, and so, but what I didn't realize showing up for this event with all of my friends uh, is that they had designed a nice white t-shirt for me to wear all day, and it had a red bullseye on the center of it, and I'll ch- check for kids in here. But on the back, it says, don't shoot me. I haven't had sex yet. And, uh, and so all, all, all day, all day, I'm getting shot. I mean, like just millions of, sh- maybe not millions, but a lot of shots that I took all day long because of this crazy T-shirt that they, that they had me wear. I know that's kind of a crazy story. Uh, but, but this idea here, I was thinking about it in that context. I know my brain goes weird places. But uh, in, in that context is when we're not rooted in the truth, it's like wearing that white T-shirt. It's, it's like having that across your, your, your back. Uh, don't shoot me. I, I'm not grounded in the truth. Like nobody's listening to that. Nobody's listening to that. No, like the saints like, yes, like you're getting lit up. Because you're not rooted. Sorry if I'm spitting on you. But you're, when you're not rooted in the truth, it's a, it's a dangerous place to be. And it describes what this, this danger looks like. In that time, he was saying, in that context, he was saying, he says, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people. Jewish myths in that time, I was reading a little bit about that. The idea of a, of a myth there was that they had started assigning Numbers within the language that they're speaking, they assign numbers to different words, and a, a, a word would spell out, would have a number attached to that word. So I was reading about one that was interesting. They had come to the conclusion that the name Abraham was the number 318. And because of that, they concluded that Abraham had 318 servants, and like all kinds of weird conclusions based on random facts. I was like, how often is that in God's word? Like even today, like some of the things that people come out up with, they read a, a text and they come up with, have you ever had somebody in that conversation? And you're just like, where did you get from here to there based on reading this? Like, how did you arrive there? Like, it's unbelievable where some people bend and twist scripture. So he's warning against that to confront that and co- correct that. Or man-made co- Man-made commandments, this idea of anything, uh, uh, of seeing the, all the things that man has come up with. Like, well, you should be doing this. this. This is my list of rules that you should follow. We talked about that a lot in our last series. But I thought it interesting to be clear on who it's talking about. It says, the commands of people who turn away from the truth. This idea of somebody that they must, in order to turn away from something, they had to be headed down the right road at some point, right? Does that make sense logically? So these folks that he's talking to isn't talking about the outside world that has nothing to do with Christ or has never been exposed to him. It's talking to people that had known truth, but had strayed and gone a different direction. They had known it. They, they might have a foundation for it, but because they hadn't had filters up in their life, they're just taken wherever the wind blows. And how many of you can attest to that, pointing to either somebody in your life, a close friend or family member? Man, they used to have it. They used to be grounded. That's one of the things that's sad about Facebook is seeing like people that you, you, that you knew for a season, and they're like, they were following the Lord, but man, 
they have, they're living a whole different lifestyle. It's evident in the, the pictures and the quotes and the things that they're putting on there. Just It breaks your heart. I watch different people from ministries I've been connected with, and you're like, man, where have they gone? That's why this is so key. This is so key, being protective of what is shaping your worldview. What is shaping your worldview? He goes into this last section, the dangers of doing nothing about it. The dangers to just sitting back and going whatever direction the wind blows you with truth. Take a look at this. Verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Now listen to this part here. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. He's saying in that context, he's saying he's, nothing, is pure, nothing is pure because they have defiled, they've been defiled from the inside out. They've been defiled from the inside out, and he points to two different things, both their minds and their consciences. See, the truth is, if the mind is defiled, it can't, listen to this, if the mind is defiled, it can't accurately inform the conscience, so the conscience can't warn the person. Does that make sense? Tracking with me? If the mind is defiled, if it's polluted, if it's perverted with false truth and lies, it can't appropriately use the tool that God's put in place, your conscience, to warn you. It's kind of like parking in a bad neighborhood and your car alarm's off. Like, no, like, like, no, like there's a, it, it needs to have that warning system. When, it, when we aren't protective of our mind, then we're vulnerable because it's saying there, it says when the mind, when it's not pure, when it's not protected, then the conscience is also defiled and we're left super vulnerable. That's why I'm so convinced there's so many people that you talk to that are, that are in the faith or would be claimed to be following Christ or, or, or even have a relationship with Christ, but because their mind isn't rooted in the word, it's not grounded, they're completely oblivious to the fact that they are living in sin in a number of areas. Have you noticed that with folks that you talk to? They're like, they don't even see some of the things that scripture points out clearly as, hey, this isn't God's best plan for you. And they're missing out God's best because their mind has not been rooted in the truth. It hasn't been rooted in the truth. So the first the danger is, is inner life is defiled. And the last thing we'll conclude with is the second idea is that the outer life is a lie. Verse 16. They profess to know God, describing this person, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Whoo, that's a tough one. Like, swallow that. Happy Sunday. Thanks for coming. But think about that, that, that picture there that he's describing. It says this. It says they profess to know God. So they might verbally have all the answers and say, yeah, I remember saying that prayer in Sunday school many years back, but I haven't cracked a Bible since. And this idea, but they deny him by their works. And what is the outcome of that person? They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I'm glad I didn't write that. I, I, you're not reading my writing there. That, you're reading, that, that's God's word. That's what he's saying. When somebody isn't rooted in the truth, when they're not living out the things that they believe, because what did we start this series talking about? The, the truth is our actions shape are shaped by what we believe. 
The things we do come out of what we actually believe. And so that's why he's saying, hey, listen, actions are a tattletale on what you truly believe. Your actions are a tattletale. They tell, hey, listen, he doesn't really believe that because his life isn't showing that. And so this is just a warning. This is a, a caution of what life apart from a protected, being rooted in truth looks like. I think it's interesting, the word a choice there, they use the word detestable. That's usually attached to a food that you're like, anybody have that food item that you're like, that is detestable. Like, do not put that on my plate. I ain't touching it. Like, my growing up for my, for my dad, it was pizza. Like, how is that? Like, how can you even be American? And, uh, and, uh, and it, it, was, it was pizza was the thing that was detestable. But thinking about it in this context, that's what he's saying. He's like, listen, God sees that person that's, that's making these claims, that's been perverted from the inside out, that doesn't have a mind that's rooted in truth, that's actions are inconsistent with his claimed beliefs. He's saying, that person is detestable. They're not usable. I think it's fascinating, the idea of unfit for any good work. Man, I don't want that as my description. I don't want that on my epitaph. Like that's, that's much like the Cretan description. Don't want that either of those descriptions. But that's the paint, picture that's being painted, and that's what is at stake here. And so that's why the conclusion from this whole text, the whole big idea is this. A mature believer confronts lies and clings to truth. A mature believer confronts lies, calls out lies as he sees it, and, and, and in a way that's in a rest, restoring way, calls out truth with the hope of correcting people with, the, remember, the balance of grace and truth, calls out lies, whether it's speaking to somebody specifically or turning something off or turning a channel or correcting something. Like, it looks very different in a lot of different arenas, but a mature believer calls out lies, confronts them, and clings to truth. That's my prayer for us as a community, that that would be a wonderful description of even across the, the walkway coming in. Like, what a, what a cool descriptor of our, of our church, what that would look like. Hey, man, this, this is a church that they're, they're willing to call out. They're willing to stand on the truth. They're willing to call out deception. They're willing to, to speak truth and, and confront and, and love and cling to the truth. Man, I'll tell you what, that would be a beautiful thing if, that, if there's one thing that would be said about Agora Bible Fellowship. One practical thing, I just wanted to, to leave you this. I don't know why God planted this on my mind. One thing, because I was thinking about this, is like just what's a practical takeaway from this? One of the things that I've tried to apply in, in my life, uh, and, and this is, this is uh, you do what you would like with this. So this is one of the things I've been convicted of. I end up in a car a lot. I end up in a car a decent amount here, there, everywhere. And, and one of the things that I've made an intentional choice, and I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm saying this is what, what I've done. And it's served well. Making the choice to put in your mind truth of God's word through music or through a sermon or using that time, reclaiming it for some kind of value. Using it, it's funny how making the choice, like I, I've, like I don't have any radio station set in my car except for, what is the one, that the good Christian one? Air, Air One, Air One. I know they play the same songs all the time, over and over, and, and that's okay. But this is, this is the practical little nugget of something, because when I was thinking about this context, I'm like, what, what, do, you, what do you do with that when he's saying, to pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing, nothing is pure? but both their minds and their consciences 
are defiled. I was like, you know what? I just want to be cautious about what is going into my mind. So you wrestle through yourself what it is that you need to kind of determine, what it is that's going to cause a change, a shift, to be a little bit more protective of what comes in, what we embrace as truth. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for this text and this warning and alarm, the bell that he's ringing to this audience, I pray that it would be a bell that rings in our own hearts and lives, God, not as a, a beating us up kind of a thing, but as a caution, because God wants that you, you want our best for us. You want our best. You want us to experience, experience your best. You want us, to, you want us to, to have life and have it to the fullest. God, I just pray that some of these things would take root even in our lives and that we would be a community of believers that are okay, that are okay with confronting lies, that don't mind the potential risk of that, that are willing to cling to the truth even when the tide is headed the opposite direction. God, we can only do this in your strength. That's why we plead with you now to give us that strength. Pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Let's make some choices to be protective about what we're allowing to come in, what we're accepting, and what we're embracing as truth. God bless you. Have a great day.